Welcome to, <clears throat> welcome to Oikos. You guys braved the storm. Everybody's all right? Awesome. Um, we've got several people listening online, so we are thankful. So let's give thanks to God that we do have online worship as well. Um, this morning is our final message for the book of Acts. I know we actually finished the last verses, verses of Acts last week, but this is Paul's final words. So if you're ever reading through the New Testament, which I hope you all have the opportunity to do, um, in fact, I encourage you that you should read through the New Testament at some point all the way through. Just read through it so that you get a better idea of how it's all fit together. But Paul's final words we find in 2 Timothy. So this morning what we're going to go is to what they call the pastoral epistle. And an epistle just means a letter. And so this is written from Paul to Timothy. Now throughout Acts, we've heard Paul talk about Timothy, his beloved son, his um, very faithful disciple. Timothy for Paul was family. Timothy was someone that he poured his life into. Timothy was a man who Paul loved as a son, as someone that he saw carrying on the mission. Um, and we'll see as we read through these verses that Paul had interactions and relationships with a lot of people who he loved. Some continued and some betrayed him, but the mission of Jesus continued. So we're in 2 Timothy. You'll find 2 Timothy if you go into the New Testament. You want to keep pushing through Hebrews. You'll eventually get to 2 Timothy. Keep pushing through. They're small little books, but you'll find them. It's the pastoral epistles. And of course, there's 1 Timothy. So if you find 1 Timothy, you're really close. Because then it's 2 Timothy. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse 6. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering. This is Paul writing to Timothy, remember. To God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Verse 9, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now, if you remember, Luke was a physician Luke was writing the book of Acts along with his journey with Paul. So Luke was shoulder to shoulder with Paul. So Luke doesn't leave him. Bring Mark with you when you come. Isn't this awesome? If you guys have been going through the book of Acts, we saw that point when Mark wanted to be rejoined with him and Barnabas. And Paul said no, because Mark had deserted them before. So often we see broken relationships in churches. Well, there's a broken relationship that Paul now says, let's make sure it's reconciled or probably is already reconciled because he's calling Mark to come as well. He doesn't call Mark one of those who has deserted him. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Huge words there. I sent... Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books. 
and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corneth. You guys were like, he's actually making through all these names up until then. Erastus stayed at Corneth and left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends his greetings, and so does Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. So the part of this that we're going to focus in on, these are Paul's final words. And what I want you to be thinking about is when he was writing these final words, just to give you a little bit of context, he was in what would have been a jail cistern. And this jail cistern was in a place called Mamertine. It's Mamertine prison. And so this cistern was at least 15 feet deep, probably 15 feet around in circumference, kind of, or not circumference, diameter, across. So when he was dropped down in this space, he had about 15 feet to walk across. So about, about that far. And it was about eight feet tall. So he had a, so if you can kind of think of it, it was kind of like a bell. Came like this. They would drop him down the center. And then they would stay in that kind of dank, dark, probably moist cistern. And that was the prison. In this, he had some freedom. He had the freedom to write. And so you hear that even that there were probably people like Luke who weren't necessarily in the prison who were able to pass down papers and, and things for him to actually write these letters to Timothy and then he could pass those letters out and, be, and have them sent out. But Paul was here. And I think what's incredible that we've seen over and over again is that no matter what the circumstance is, Paul continues to stay on mission. He writes in this cistern that he has accomplished something that he's very proud of. And he's only proud of it because he knows that the Lord has done it in him. And so there are three things that I want us to think about in a reaction to certain death that Paul gives us some wisdom to follow. And so we start in verse 6. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. So he senses the time is near. His final sacrifice is coming. Now he says poured out because in the Old Testament, they would actually pour the animal's blood out over the altar. So he's referencing an Old Testament sacrifice. He's not trying to connect that he is um, a worthy sacrifice like Jesus, 
but that it's just simply an offering. That the last thing that he's going to do is he'll give his life completely to the Lord. The time of my death is near. Verse 7, I have, this is where I want you to underline, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. There are three things that we're going to look at today. The first one is that I have fought the good fight. For Paul, fighting for Jesus is a norm. We often, when we think about Jesus, we think about someone who's, in a sense, timid. Right? You see him holding the sheep. And he seems real gentle. A lot of people would say, you could push him over. Doesn't look very strong. Think about all those paintings that you've seen of Jesus. You don't really see him out like, he's not a burly man, right? So he's in the robe. He seems kind of weak. But that wasn't Jesus. Because Jesus would stand up against any authority that was against God. He would stand up against anyone that would try to distract him or detract him from his mission. If you remember, he stood up to Peter when Peter said, oh, you don't, you're not going to die for us. He said, get behind me, Satan. Remember these things of Jesus. He wasn't a pushover, and Paul was not either. So he wasn't just about making peace. But oftentimes when you follow Jesus, you see division happen. And I bet some of you have experienced that maybe in your own family, that all of a sudden you're really excited about Jesus, but there's a few others who aren't. And they're wondering, why are you so involved at your church or your community? Or they're thinking you're a little bit freaky because there's a storm out and you're coming to church on Sunday. Couldn't you think of something else to do? Or they may react to you by that you're giving money away. Why would you give money to an institution like a church? Wouldn't there be better uses for your money to go to? And there may be division caused in your family. Well, Paul saw this not only with those who followed him, but also in the context of his own family. We see in Scripture that Paul seems to be almost a loner. And in fact, he talks about it, that everyone abandoned him at the court. So Paul fights because he doesn't believe that just being pushed over is a worthy task for Jesus. So he is using a metaphor of a boxer. And so have you guys heard the word like a contender? So to be a contender as a boxer, you can't become a contender by saying, well, tomorrow, like for me, for instance, I can't say tomorrow I'm going to be a boxer and I'm going to be a contender. So, oh yeah, <laughs> here we go. That's what you should do. You should laugh because that can't happen. Because I have to do some things before I can become a contender. First of all, I have to win a fight. 
That could be a little sketchy. So the first thing is I've got to enter the game and I have to actually win. Now I can't just win once because I don't get to fight the top ranked guy. I have to start at the bottom. And so what he's talking about is that I have fought the good fight. That he has not just stood up for Jesus once and won. He stood up several times. For a boxer to be a contender, he has to win several times and then finally be ranked into the top 10. Once you're in the top 10, then you're a contender for the title. Paul lived his life to be a contender. He fought time and time again, no matter what the circumstance was, so that people would know that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Now the question I have for you, are you a contender? Have you fought for the faith? Have you been engaged in spiritual battles? This may seem a little uncomfortable now because you may be thinking through, have I felt like I've been attacked by Satan lately? Has he put something as an obstacle before me? Oftentimes when I hear people um, begin the process of tithing or giving generously to the church, they will have fought a spiritual battle. Because normally what happens is their dishwasher goes out as soon as they start giving and or their car breaks down because they just put their check in the offering box and they go, I could have used that for this and now I don't have it. God, are you really wanting me to give or were you telling me not to give so I could have this to pay this bill? And the spiritual battle begins. Sometimes we see it in relationships. As you all know, I always tell the guy to honor whoever he's pursuing. And so the moment a person says, all right, I'm going to follow that way. I'm going to follow God's way. And that means I'm going to honor them. I'm not going to have sex before marriage. I'm not going to pursue them in that way. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to look upon them with the eyes of Jesus and see that they're precious and beautiful. And that goes two ways, right? I won't put it all on the guy. And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, I'm not going to pursue him in that way. I'm going to wait until we've made a covenant of marriage. Well, as soon as you say that, what happens? You stay a little bit later. You're both sitting on the couch. She wears that really awesome thing. And you're going, well, do I need to compromise? Just as once. This is what happens when we engage in spiritual battles. That God says, here's my way. Here's what it looks like to be my people. And when we say, I, I agree, Lord. I want to be your son. Or I want to be your daughter. In fact, it's not that I want to be. I'm recognizing that I already am. Then the battle begins. Because Satan doesn't want you to accept that identity. He doesn't want you to see that you can be that. He wants to shame you and say, you can't be this. So I'm going to tempt you in this way. And when you fail, 
I'm going to shame you so that you don't return to the Father. If you think about the prodigal son story, Satan in that story is trying time and time again to tell the prodigal son to not return home. Even though the father is waiting to see his son. And so what Paul's saying here is that he's fought the good fight. He stood up for Jesus even when the temptation was not to. Even when it would have been easier for him just to go, you know what? I'm just going to leave the Jews, the leaders alone. It doesn't matter if they accept the Messiah or not. I'm going to take the easy road and I'm just going to kind of walk through Ephesus and enjoy it. Instead, he fights the good fight. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul wasn't just fighting a physical fight like a boxer. He knew it was a spiritual fight. And he knew that every time he engaged for the kingdom, Satan and his army would fight against him. Now, when we say these things, I, even when I say it, I imagine some of you are like, ooh, he's going crazy town again. That's our initial reaction. But remember, this is Paul speaking to his church in Ephesus helping them see that it was beyond logic. This is a Greek town, Ephesus. It's beyond your logic and reason, but there's a spiritual dominion, and Satan leads this dominion against you. And his goal and objective is to make sure that Howard or Tara or Rhonda or Stacy, or Willie, or any of us in here decide that we can't come to the Father's table. That we are not invited to his house. That we are outside of the kingdom and there's no return. He is fighting against us, but what I think often happens is that we don't fight because we don't see these first things of being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because we don't even think about a battle being out there. How many of you thought about a spiritual battle this morning when you woke up? Did you count the hands? There's a spiritual battle, and this is what C.S. Lewis says, is that what often happens to each of us is that Satan will slowly chip away at your faith until he takes you onto a different path that leads away from God. And this is what it looks like. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell. Make sure you pull in these words. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without 
signposts. Satan is patient. He's not going to try to just throw something at you and have you go, I reject God. He's going to slowly manipulate and tempt you until you think there is no point of returning. He doesn't want you to be a contender. He doesn't even want you to be in the fight. He wants you to think the fight isn't real. He wants you to think that the fight isn't worth it. He wants you to think that you can't even fight. He wants you to think that when I said, if I want to be a boxer yesterday and someone laughed, <laughs> he wants you to accept that and say, I can't be. I can't do it. So that you become just a participant on the side. Because when you're a participant on the side, when you're just watching the battle, he has you all to himself. And he slowly draws you closer and closer until your faith life becomes compartmentalized over here and your life becomes over here. And then there's several things that come in the way of you actually following Jesus. And every time those things come in the way and you allow them to, and you don't fight, you just go, well, it's just beyond my control. Satan wins. And Satan goes, yes. I got gotcha. you. One more time. And I am patient. I will get you 20 more times until you reject your faith. He wants us to believe the lies that he gives us. One of the lies I hear often is that you don't need to be a part of a community to worship God. Right? You can do just as well on your own. Have you guys all heard that? You don't need to be a part of a church. God is everywhere. You can just, you can be at home. I'm a spiritual person. I don't need this. That's a lie. And I bet some of you know it because you have been in a faith community and then you were separated. And you know what it was like to be separated and that's why you're here today. You don't have time, this is another lie, you don't have time to be active in your faith community now, but you will later. Isn't that a great lie? It sounds good, right? Well, I can't be active now, but I can be later when my job changes a little bit, when, well, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. When that all changes, that'll be okay. When, when my family isn't crazy anymore. When I get things figured out, then I can be active. When I get my life straightened out, right? I'm just not good enough yet to be in the kingdom, to be active. I'm not a leader. Those are the lies of Satan telling you to pull back, retreat, to stop. Another lie is I've already read the Bible. I don't need to keep reading it. 
I've read it once, or at least most of it. Not the boring stuff, just the part, you know. I've been to Sunday school. I'm good. I've been confirmed. This is a common Lutheran lie. I've been confirmed, baptized. I'm good. Really, that's why God says to be active in his word, to pray constantly. That's another lie that we hear often, is that, well, I really don't need to pray about those things. God has enough to take care of. He doesn't need to hear from me. One that I hear often is that I know that God wants me to live in his ways, but it's just not realistic in today's world. These are the lies that we fight against on a constant basis. These are the lies that Paul spoke against in a consistent way with the people that he engaged with. It's not about how you live. It's recognizing that God has called you to live with him. And there's a better way. It's recognizing that you are a son and daughter of the Lord and that you do represent the kingdom no matter whether or not you see yourself as a participant in the shadows or you are a leader in the light. God has called you to represent his kingdom. And we must fight that fight. We fight to follow the ways of Jesus. We fight to follow and read and understand his words. We fight to do his works. And so for me and my oikos, from the words of Joshua, I want us to be able to say that we have fought the good fight. I want you to wake up each day and be able to go, I'm ready to fight, and at the end of each day say, I have fought the good fight. Do you want to say that? Imagine what your life would look like if you began in the day and said, I want to be a contender for the kingdom of God today. And at the end of the day, even though you may have failed in several ways, you said, Lord, thank you for helping me fight today and tomorrow I'm going to fight more. What would your office look like? What would your friendships look like? What would your family look like? What would it look like? What would your life look like if you actually fought the good fight and you didn't just say, well, I believe in Jesus. Isn't that good enough? So I'm just going to step back in the shadows. I don't need to fight. I have fought the good fight. The second thing he tells us is that I have finished the race. So he changes the metaphor from a boxer to an Olympic event, the classic event of the marathon. He's not speaking about a sprinting event here. He's talking about a marathon that's much longer than 26 miles. He's saying that he ran the race, but he also finished the race. Now, I ran a marathon a while back. And I know what I love about this, I know about marathons, and so what I love about this metaphor is that when Paul says he's finished the race, I know there's several things that he had to do to finish it. And if you want to finish a marathon, there's training that gets 
If you actually want to finish a marathon, you have to train. And so we know that he did the training that he needed to have, and he did that by abiding, by spending time with Jesus, by pulling back and saying, I'm going to be praying, I'm going to be reading his word, because I'm going to fight a fight, and I want to finish this race. In order to finish the race, I've got to have God's word centered in my heart. And this is my training. I'm going to abide with him. I'm going to allow him to prune me so that I can get ready to run, to work, and to bear fruit. So I'm going to rest to work, to finish the race. So once the race begins, we are called to finish it. And I think some of us, we may always stay in the the preparing stage. And that's the other part that I love about marathons is that when you sign up, the race date actually does come. So whether you're really super prepared or you're kind of prepared, you have to run the race. You can't go, well, well, I guess some of you do. You may sign up and go, I'm going to do it now, but then you go, well, I'll do it later. I'm too thrifty and cheap, so once I've paid the thing, I'm going to run that race, even if I'm dead when I'm done. And I'm too competitive to just go out there and walk it. I don't care. I will push myself to the grave if it means that I'm going to stop to walk. I'm going to run, even if it's like this. Because I'm going to finish that race. It's the way my parents raised me. When you commit to something, you've got to go 100% until it's done. Well, this is what Paul does. In the marathon, he finishes the race because he's prepared for it. He's signed up for it. And when the race begins, he did it. I wonder for us, how many of us realize that we haven't prepared for the race? And we're actually scared to sign up. I think today God is calling you to take some time with him. To rest and abide. Let his word move through you. That means you actually do read his Bible, his word, and let those words ring into your heart. And then you take a risk and you sign up for the first thing that you think he's telling you to do. And maybe that's to pray with your family because you haven't prayed with your family or pray with your spouse because you haven't prayed with your spouse. And you take that risk and you do it. You run that race and you complete it. The other thing I saw in this whole metaphor of running the race is that the most encouragement you can have as you're running a marathon is to have those groups of people that either know you or don't know you along the race cheer you on. If you've ever run a race, you can be super dog tired and then you run past or you know someone is going to be at a certain checkpoint. So you don't want to look super tired because they're going to be taking pictures. So you start looking better and you run through that part and they're cheering. They're going, go Aaron, go. Or towards the end, go, go. And you run hard and it's awesome. In fact, I got to do that a little bit with my daughter. She ran her cross country race, her first one. And I knew I want, my temptation was I, sh- I was going to run the whole thing with her because I wanted to really push her because I thought she should win. So I wanted her to really run hard, but I held back 
because I didn't want to be that helicopter parent. So I pulled back and I let her just kind of run. But at the end, I couldn't, I had to, I had to get out there because I thought she's probably going to stop because she's tired and she needs someone to motivate her. So I got out there and I saw her come around and she's like, I hurt. I was like, Breezy, you got to push it, push it. And she's, I can't. I said, you should beat that person in front of you. Go. And she's like, I can't. And I said, don't talk, just run. And so she's trying really hard and she comes in third. And she was so proud. This is what your father in heaven does with you as you run the race. He knows when you're hurting. He runs alongside of you and he says, go, Sandy, go. Don't stop. Don't let this stop you. Finish the race. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. And what Oikos does, when you're a part of a church that commits to Oikos of building family, is that you have people along the race cheering you on. That's what our whole purpose of missional communities are. We want you to be on mission, but we don't want you to be on mission by yourself. We want you to have a group of people cheering you on. So when you're tired and you don't think you can move, they're cheering and say, go. I know it's hard, but go and finish this race. So a question for you, are you running a race alone or do you have a family cheering you on? Are you running it alone, trying to do your own mission or have you included others into this and you have people cheering you on? Have you invited people to cheer you on? Have you accepted the invitation to be a part of a family who will cheer you on? So as for me and my oikos, I want us to be a family who finishes the race. I want us to be able to say, we have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. And the last one, I have remained faithful. This is the last one that Paul gives. Finishing the race and fighting the good fight without faith means nothing. So he says that he has remained faithful even through all these things that he's gone through. And so I ask myself, what does it look like? What does faithfulness look like? And the best way I can describe it is it's following God's way even when you would rather follow your own way. So it's following, faithfulness is following God's way even when you'd rather follow your own way. And I think that is a daily battle for each of us on several times during the day. And you can see it in your, the time that you give, that you volunteer. It's your own way or it's God's way. It's in how you do your finances. It's your own way or it's God's way. Am I faithful? Am I going God's way. It's in your career choices. Am I accepting this career because it's my way? Or is God actually calling me to this? Is it God's way? Am I remaining faithful to him? 
Am I even asking him? Or am I just doing it my own way and then go, hey, God, can you come along? Faithfulness also includes realizing that you won't always make the right choice. We are not perfect. We are sinful people. So faithfulness includes being able to fall into the grace of God and go, I'm not always going to make the right choice. I'm going to make some bad choices. But thank you, God, that even in my bad choices, you are there. And I can fall into your hands of grace. I can fall into that graceful grasp that you have on me. And even in my bad choice, you will bring something good out of it. Because we believe that God's grace has covered every place where we have failed. Paul knew this as well in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. I really want to go God's way. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a sin, a slave to sin. Paul understood that being faithful didn't mean that you were always right. That your life was perfect. Remaining faithful for Paul was turning back to the Father. Recognizing that he had made a wrong choice. Wasted some time. Didn't do what the Lord had asked him to do. But he would turn back to the Father. And he remained faithful. So I want my oikos to say, I have remained faithful. I have remained faithful to the one who was first faithful to me. And has always been faithful. So the three things that I want us to be able to say each day. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. We never know when Jesus is coming back again. We never know when he's going to take you home. We never know when you're going to have final words. And these are the final words of Paul. So be prepared every day that your final words may be the same as Paul's. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Does that not sound like good news? Oh, (laughs) well, it sounded like good news to me. Every day when I would end the day, if I could say, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, Lord. I have remained faithful. Thank you for being my Lord. Thank you for being my Savior. Bring on the next day or bring me home to you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this time to look at Paul's final words. I pray that it would affect our hearts, that we would think about those three statements that he made. Maybe one of them we know we're not even close to. Maybe we have forgotten that we're even in a fight. 
maybe we looked at today and said, I'm not even close to being faithful. And maybe, Lord, we have already quit the race. So for those who are in those situations right now, I pray that you would send your spirit upon them and remind them of who you have made them to be. That it is not in their power, but it's through your power, Lord, that they'll be able to fight the good fight, finish the race, and remain faithful. Remind them that they're always welcome to come back home. They're always welcome in your house, at your table. For those who are struggling right now because they are in the middle of it and they want to quit, send your words of encouragement, Lord, through our family. Help people of Oikos recognize that someone is struggling and then give them the words of encouragement that they need. Not their words, but your words, Lord, so that they'll finish the race or they'll continue to fight to be a contender or they'll remain faithful. And Lord, for those who are having a super great day and they see that these things are occurring and they tonight will say these three statements, I give thanks to you that you are doing a great work within them. And may they be a testimony and example to each of us here that it is possible to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to remain faithful. Paul is the first, but he will not be the last. May we all follow in his footsteps because he followed you. In your name we pray, amen.